for time and to speak to our hearts. I know that you will, so I just pray that we're listening and that we'll pay attention, Lord. I pray that we're listening and that we'll pay attention, that we're hungry to hear and motivated to put it into action, Lord. I pray that simple uh, barriers that the enemy puts in our way to just distract us and discourage us, that they'd fall on deaf ears, Lord, when they come in our direction, that we'd at least put up a fight to be intentional and go after what you have for our life and what you say is true about our life, Lord. Pray, Lord, that we wouldn't lose the battle of the mind, Lord. We would work hard, God, to keep our mind cultivated um, to hear what you have for us, Lord. That we'd be intentional, as Rick prayed, Lord, about the purity of our hearts so we can see you, Lord. You make it really clear in your word. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I pray that we would go after just purity, Lord, and just a right mind, cultivating what you say is true about us. So we thank you for our time that we get to have, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Palm Sunday, you got all your palms, right? Um, Interesting time of the year. I don't even know if it actually happened. I don't think it did happen this time of the year, but this is kind of traditionally when the church celebrates it. We do Palm Sunday now, and then um, Passover, which is really Easter Resurrection Day, we'll celebrate next week. Um, but let's start with this. So do you remember in, let's see, let's bring you back. Let's go junior year of high school, probably. Already you're not happy about this. So just bear with me. So you go junior high school chemistry class. Everyone's like, yes. Nobody's like that. Nah. Junior year chemistry class. Might have been a different year, but either way, you took chemistry class, at least you're supposed to at some point. So let's pretend that you did. Um, You may have even done it in earth science class. Earth science class, remember some of that. There's rocks and dirt. We talked about the earth and the layers of it. Um, so one thing that you would have done in either one of those two classes is you would have had a jar of liquid of some kind. Then you would have had a piece of paper, and you would have taken a piece of paper, and you would have put it in that jar, and that piece of paper would have turned color. Remember what that was, by any chance? A litmus test. That's my life. <laughs> She'll be thanking you later. Litmus test, right? That's, that's what he did. So the term might sound familiar. And usually what you would do with a litmus test is usually it was probably some sort of type of like activity, some kind of lab. And the goal was to figure out either how acidic Right? Or how alkaline, how much of a base the liquid was. And so what you would do is you would take the litmus paper, that's why they call it litmus test, so that paper was already treated with a bunch of chemicals. So it would either turn, turn uh, blue or red. So you'd take that piece of paper, you'd put it in the liquid. If it turned blue or some shade of it, it was more on the base end. Um, if it turned red, right, it was more on the acidic end. And so that litmus test, right, helps us to 
you can't see it just by looking at the liquid exactly what it is. It's a little bit too dangerous to drink it. If you don't have a friend that's too bright, you can ask them to drink it first. <laughs> but if you have that liquid there, it's, it's really helpful to not get physically involved into it and just take a third party, the paper, and have it determine exactly what's going on inside of there. Because when we look at it, we're unsure exactly what's happening with the liquid. So our eyes, just by what we see, we can't really tell. And many times, like they probably use the clear liquid of some kind. So it's really difficult to see. So you use that litmus paper to try and figure out what it is. And I think of Palm Sunday kind of like that. Because we're going to read in a minute where Jesus is riding into, well, he didn't even quite ride on it yet. He told two of his disciples, said, hey, listen, there's going to be a donkey and a colt. So there's going to be a mama and there's going to be a baby. Go grab them because I'm going to come riding in on the baby. Weird. But, like we said, it's coming from Zechariah, right? There's a purpose to it. So he grabs, so he tells them, they go grab them, they come back. He said, listen, if somebody gives you a hard time, just tell them, my Lord has need of it. And apparently that's okay. So the thievery was justified, and it was all part of the plan. And so they get it. Jesus hops on. Everybody climbs up the trees or grabs the palm near the base of the trees and they're all just, here, we'll, we'll just like, we'll do it. Right, so grab your palm. Here, I'll take the little one. Right, so take your palms. Take your palms. My kids are smacking me in the face. Don't smack each other in the face. Just like wave it, right? Just wave it. Can we just all wave a palm? Come on, this is not like a, there we go, we're all waving. Come on. See, there you go. So what they're doing is they're waving these palms ever, and they probably had the big branches, which I kind of wanted to buy, but it was like so cumbersome and crazy, I didn't want to. So they're all waving, 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 right? And they're singing Hosanna, like the song we just did, typically meaning save us, save us, right? So they're all waving it, waving it, because they are thinking that at this moment that Jesus riding in on this baby donkey is then going to set them free from Rome and set up their own nation. All right, we can start waving. Right? And what they did was, as they're waving those palms, they actually took their outer garments off as well, and they laid it down. And so it was like this entire scene of acknowledging and embracing royalty that's coming. So how does the litmus test come in there? Good question. By the end of the week, it was a much different scene, as we know. By the end of the week, most of that crowd, probably not all, but most of that crowd, because as you know, typically, whatever the majority of the crowd is doing, most people go, around, go along with. So the majority of the crowd is yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. So the same crowd that was palming it up, laying clothes down, he comes running through. Then at the end of the week, crucify him, crucify him, he's on a cross. 
So how does the litmus test fit in there? Now you get to wait. All right, now let's read. Let's check it out. All right, Luke 19. Let's, let's see here. So verse 28. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. <laughs> you can't try that in real life with cars and things. Like, it doesn't, don't do that. Verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. <laughs> Apparently that was good enough. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloak, cloaks on the colt. Cloaks on the colt. Try to say that five times fast. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it as he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Right? That's what they're saying. So some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. Verse 40, Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. And he said, if you even knew, if you even you had only known on this day, it would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They would dash you to the ground, you and the children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So we get the whole scene there, which is much like what I just described earlier, right? Only difference is... You can tell from this story that as they're celebrating and singing Hosanna, blessed King, come in peace, peace on heaven, as they're like just into this thing, Jesus starts crying. So you have two totally contrasting behaviors going on. And in Luke and in Matthew, they record that uh, Mark is a little bit different. So if you wanted to read the story later this week, you can go Matthew uh, 21, Mark 11, and take a look at it. Um, it's interesting how the entire scene plays out, like in Zechariah 9, how we talked about, how it said that we read in the beginning, that he, how we had to ride in right on a colt, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and then sure enough, they're doing that exact same thing. Um, they're actually quoting Psalm 118. So when they go, blessed... Uh, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That's coming from Psalm 118. 
So it's pretty interesting. Just think about a couple of dynamics first before we dive into this whole litmus and stuff that's going on. Just give you some food for thought here. The Bible always points to Jesus. So just say that. The Bible always points to Jesus. So no matter where you're reading or where you're at, somehow, some way, what's given in that word is pointing to Jesus. Why? Because the entire Bible history, his story, points to the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would come, save the world, and reconcile humanity back to God in a perfect harmony. That's the entire purpose of the Bible. To clue us, that's amazing, right? And we have the privilege to read it. So many countries, like, you just show up and they got... I watched a video a couple of weeks ago of they brought in some Bibles into China and to this Christian group. And for lack of a better illustration, you would think they're at a Justin Bieber concert. It was crazy. Just mob them for the Bibles. They're just hungry. They know what it is. So the whole purpose of this is to God to communicate to us, hey, listen, from the very beginning, as soon as you fell, I had a plan in place to get you back to me. And I tried, 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 tried. And the enemy has done nothing but to get you off that track. But I continue to come after, come after, come after. And now I made a way. And now there's a life in me. So follow me. That's what the Bible's about. So in this story, it's no different. So this cult idea, or donkey idea, should sound kind of familiar. Anybody remember any other time you heard a, a colt and a donkey? You could yell it out. Uh, happens around a particular time of year. Ah, there you go, Christmas, right? Right, Mary, right? She was on a colt and a donkey before. Only at that time, Jesus was still, this wasn't his first ride on a donkey. That was the second ride. He was in mommy's belly before. So it's interesting how God like tied that back in. And it's very interesting to think about how you have the king of the world who actually created the world. And in Colossians it says, nothing was in this world that was not made through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. Like he made what he's riding on. It's crazy. And he chose to make his grand entrance as king. Like in your Bible, it probably says something to the effect of the triumphal entry. His triumphal entry is like on a little fiat, you know, (laughs) kind of like riding through, like that's what he's doing. I mean, in the Roman times, they'd have like massive, huge golden chariots, big stallions, you know, a whole big like, Entourage, just gleaming shields and swords that would come in front, a big guy to speak before. Like, it would be like impressive. The creator of the universe says, You know what? God said not to come that way. So I'm coming in with training wheels. And that's just the way we're going to do it because God said to do it that way. 
I love that. So you could just like, you could just, you could literally spend probably the next two days just thinking about donkeys and cults and how God used it and like what's going on there. It's so cool. Like the Bible's so rich of stuff. Yeah, the talking donkey too, right? Yeah, God talked through a donkey as well. Yeah, you could have a lot of fun with that. This idea of peace, right? Take a look. It says, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All this points to Jesus. The only reason why I bring up some of these things. I'm getting to the litmus test, I promise you. But it says, peace in in heaven and glory in the highest. That sounds kind of familiar with another story. Anybody remember that one? There you go, Christmas time again, right? The birth of Christ, the angel shepherd. Only in that time they're saying, peace on earth, right? Goodwill towards men. This time we're saying, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, right? It's changed. It's changed. Because eventually, peace on earth will come, but peace in heaven is really where it has to start. Peace on heaven is where it has to start. So even though they're celebrating, they had no idea that he had to take, take care of priority number one, which was make a way for us to be in fellowship with him. Then priority number two is he takes over the world and does his Jesus thing, which you find out later in the Bible. But peace is a key theme through God, through Jesus. So to function and live life as a Christian, just in total chaos, anxiety, and frustration all the time is a super clear indicator that the Spirit is not yet having full dominion in our lives. Holy Spirit life, a God-filled life, peace flows from that. It doesn't mean that it's perfect all the time, but it does mean that at some point in time along the way in our Christian walk, We start to operate in a more peaceful way than we ever have before. Crying over a city. That wasn't new. That wasn't new at all either. That wasn't the first time that happened. Crying over a city. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he cried over his whole city. Man, there's a whole big book in the Bible, Jeremiah. I don't think, somebody correct me this week, but I don't think there's one recorded convert after all his work. I mean, he was thrown in a ditch, and he was put in the stocks, and he did everything that the Lord had for him. And now one single convert. And he just cried over his city. He's like, Lord, oh, this is just a mess. And they're killing everybody who's like legit for your name. Sweeping over a city. Jonah in the Old Testament. He was upset because God wouldn't destroy a city. I resound more with him. I'm like, Lord, they're so, just destroy that. Just like, you know, get rid of that. Let's start over. He was mad because all of his fellow family members, Hebrews, Israelites, are just getting tortured, killed, betrayed by another nation, and then God calls him to a city in that nation and says, hey, listen, go preach to them. They're going to repent. They're going to turn. They're going to follow me. And John's like, no. Have you missed what they've been doing to us? 
And then God tells him, he's like, nah, like you need to. And that's why he heads off, you know, in the other direction, gets eaten by a fish and that whole story. And then Jesus crying here over a city. I hope that. This is the wrong church for people. If our city and our area does not have a strong place in our heart. It's the wrong church. That is where we are headed. That is what we are doing. I am 110% after that. My heart is for this town, for this city. There is a lot of work, yes. Thanks for the obvious. (laughs) But we do have, we do have a king who is mighty to save and who is able. The only way we ever get to figure any of that out is if we take a step in faith towards what he values. Otherwise, it's just a song that maybe we sing. So our heart just has to like, and if it's not there, then we say, Lord, give me a heart for this city. Give me a heart for these people. All I see is my life, pretty much. And then Jesus said a weird thing kind of at the end here about how, why he was crying. Because by 70 AD, some time after this, not too long after this, 30, 40 years after, the Romans actually would come in, destroy the whole city, overturn every stone. They actually laid siege to the city, to that city of Jerusalem, meaning they camped outside of it, and they just cut off all supplies coming in. And you can imagine how gross that got on the inside. And it was just a horrible situation. So all they saw was their king who was going to set them free to make them be a nation. All Jesus saw, they don't get what's going on. They're going to do their own thing, and only destruction awaits them. Wow. That's amazing to have that kind of poise and that kind of perspective, regardless of what's going on. It's amazing. So two thoughts, and then we get to our litmus. Fill in the blank. His commitment, that's the first blank, his commitment to the mission is compelling and convicting. So we're talking about Jesus. His commitment to the mission is compelling and convicting. That was one thought that just blew me away as I read this. It's compelling because it captures and grabs the attention of everybody around. Everybody's watching this kind of weird situation where everybody's waving palms, throwing their coats down. The Romans are like, these guys are out of their minds. What are they even doing? There's Gentiles there. Everybody's seeing this. It's convicting because it reveals the level of focus that our Savior Jesus Christ had as he rode into town. He was not caught up in the moment. He wasn't caught up in the hoopla. That's like saying something. That's convicting. I think it's like really easy for us to be all on board with stuff and really good with things when it's going really well and things are just jamming. Yeah, yeah. And then when things are not and it's very difficult, bless you, many times we're rattled. Wait, what? Did God say this? Am I supposed to? We don't have any record of Jesus 
being like at the end of the week in the Garden of Gethsemane being like, oh, wait, maybe I rode that colt at the wrong time. Because if I did it right, they shouldn't be ending up like this. He didn't say anything like that. He had like supreme focus and it was not tied to what was going on around him. That's, to me, that's convicting. Because as Christians, we're being called to live a life to where what happens outside and around doesn't detract from what he's calling on the inside. Really convicting. So it's compelling and it's convicting, that commitment to the mission there, because it's a true commitment. That next blank, the support. That blank is for support. The support of the crowds is short-sighted and shameful. It's short-sighted and shameful. I tried to keep everything C's and S's so it would just make things easier for you. You didn't notice that? Maybe now you did. Some people are still saying, what's he talking about? Forget about it. Support of the crowds is short-sighted and shameful. It's short-sighted. <laughs> Mike's like, stop doing that. It's short-sighted because all they can see is just in the moment what's happening now. Completely not understanding, not seeing the full course of what still needs to transpire. So guess what happens? They had an expectation. It didn't get met. By the end of the week, kill them. We're done with them. Expectations play a really big role in our Christian life. The clearer we can get on what God expects from us, the more confident we can walk with him. The more clear we can better understand his expectations are from us and from our lives, the more confident and more freeing we can walk with him. It's a really good question to say, well, what is God expecting out of me in this moment? Because I can guarantee you it's much more than just having a pulse and showing up. Although many, sometimes it is just showing up is a big deal. But a lot of times it's more than that. It's shameful because it's almost like, you know, they got two different personalities in the course of a week. Does anything, anybody know anything about changing personalities by the end of the week? You're some way today or tomorrow, and by Friday, you'd be a totally other person. Honestly, it doesn't take a week. It takes like maybe a half an hour <laughs> on a good day, depending upon who you are. It just flipped. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, it just whew. And I have it for them because their expectations, man, were just not met. And it's just shameful how much of an extreme it can go. It wasn't like, you know, I'm just not sure. That was, that was pretty, that was weird, the whole palm. I don't know. It was, no, we just kill him, kill him, kill Like, wow, whoa, total extreme. So the support of the crowd, can't count on that. Can't count on that. It's short-sighted and it's shameful. So here's the deal with the litmus test. Litmus test. I have found an experience even with myself, that many times a Christian, a Christ follower, their litmus test to see if God is actually speaking to them 
or confirming a direction where they're going or validating a thought that they have. So a confirming, a validation. The litmus test that's usually done to see if it's really like God or not, if it's red or blue, many times is left up to other people around them. Many times the litmus test for God's voice is only left to those around them. Here's the difficulty. God does speak through those around us. And the word is really clear about that. But the other difficulty is, is sometimes he's totally not speaking through others around us. So how do we know? Right? How do we know? And I'll get to that in a minute, but here's the question that like, I just took a little bit further in my own mind. Is, if I honestly look at myself in my life, because I feel like the crowd is honestly just a better representation of my heart. It can just, like, just flip and switch very easily, depending upon what might happen around my life. I mean, that's just the truth. I can tell if I, as I've walked closer with Christ, it, it tends to do that less and less. But I know how my heart has functioned for years. It, just, it can easily change and switch. And even go to places I don't want it to go. And it's like, I know that's not even right, but I, it does this thing. So an important evaluation question for us, brought on by the reaction of the crowd. Important evaluation question is this. How prone am I Put your name in there. How prone is Jared, right? How prone is Georgina, right? How prone is Rob? How prone am I to look to others as confirmation and validation of what God is doing in my life? How prone am I to look to others as confirmation and validation of what God is doing in my life? Because I, I think we'd make a mistake if we fell on either extreme. If we never, ever do it, how does anybody ever have a platform of influence and accountability and discipleship into our lives? That means we don't listen to anybody. And we just supposedly just listen to God. Because he will only speak quietly. He won't speak through anybody else. That's a very dangerous place to be. If we come on the other end and we only focus on what everybody else is saying as confirmation or validation of what we're trying to pray about or do, <laughs> we're going to be going up and down like this all the time. Some of us know a lot about that. So somewhere we should fall in there but it's got to be in the right place. So I wrote down some, situa some situations to think about as we think about this evaluation question to kind of see maybe where we're at. And it's only a few things. Um, here's one situation. Some person might take a step, and, and I write these down because these are things that I've noticed in church like pretty much throughout my whole life so far, just common trends. 
So we take a step towards getting to know someone and we're met with minimal response and like no call back, no reaching out. So we take a step towards getting to know somebody and we're met with minimal response and no call back, no interest back in our life. If God is calling us to reach out and involve other people into our lives and build community around us, and then we say, okay, God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to go text so-and-so. Text them up. Hey, I was thinking about you. Hope you're having a good day. You get a text back? Okay, cool. Some people might stop right then and there. That must not be God. That must have been their own person. I should not try and reach out. Maybe I, maybe I should do it at a different time. Maybe I should just take a break from that for a while. And in the moment, that's like not the case. If God spoke a true to your heart to reach out and create community around yourself, I hope it didn't just take that to throw you off. That's where we'd be persistent and keep going. Right, the unhealthy end would just be to badger somebody and overwhelm them and overbear them and just, you know, that wouldn't be good. Point being, I hope that we're hearing is God, at least with this particular person, said, hey, you need to include more people. They need to speak into your life in a meaningful way. It's too easy for you to do your own thing. They need to speak into your life. I hope then we aggressively go after opening up channels to people and seeing what God does. Because if we just waited and just based our obedience on the response, that'd be a huge mistake, right? We'd fall in just like this crowd over here. And we wouldn't look a lot like Jesus, we'd look a lot like the crowd. Or another one that comes up a lot. Um, we decide to commit, so whoever it is, a family, decides to commit some, to some family prayer, and it's met with resistance, and you're the only one that wants to. That's another popular one that comes up. So somebody in the family, like, they want to pray, they want to do stuff, and like comes with resistance. Some people could take that as, oh, I guess God doesn't want us to pray. No. Like, you push more on that. You hold on to that. Hopefully, you're not a steamroller trying to make it happen like that in your family. Maybe you can ask some people for some insight. Hey, my family is just, they're not into, like, praying together. Should, got any creative ideas or something I can try or... Right, and get some help with that. Here's another situation. Uh, you make yourself vulnerable in a relationship and it goes ignored or unappreciated. So you make yourself vulnerable in a relationship and it goes ignored or unappreciated. Some people take that to mean, I guess I don't open myself up to anybody else now. Kind of a basic function as a Christian is to open yourself up and to give your life away. So Jesus says, as you actually give your life away, then you'll actually find it. So to keep it, like, dangerous. So hopefully we don't get locked in to just supreme amounts of appreciation and recognition. Or here's another one that comes up. You decide to start a Bible study and nobody shows up. So someone like, gets really hot on something. Oh, I'm going to do a Bible study. I'm going to start a small group. And some people show up the first week. And then like the next two, like, you know, basically nobody shows up. And then some people could say, I mean, well, I guess God didn't want me to do it. Maybe. Or 
It could be that God spoke it really clear to your heart to have that Bible study, and if nobody shows up, you still have Bible study. Just you and yourself and God. Some people are like, no, he didn't mean that. <laughs> he didn't mean that part. That's crazy. Who would do that? I'll tell you what. God told Ezekiel to go out to a wilderness of literally dead people. Dry bones. Bones. No life. No nothing. That's the audience. It's dry bones. He said, listen, you just go out and you preach there. And then it said as he preached, like, skin and tendons and stuff came on and they became alive. So if he's telling you to go preach in the woods to an oak tree, you just go do it. He's telling you to have a Bible study, and we go through and we do it. He's calling us to come into a group of somebody, you know, we just go do it. Be obedient to it. Right, another one is, I take a step of faith, and everyone loves it, and they receive a great amount of admiration for it. So this is like the other end. Somebody does take a step of faith. Everybody sees it, and they love it. That's pretty telling as well how prone we are to look for other people and God's approval. Because next time they might do that step of faith thing, whatever it is, and they don't get all of that, that could be very interesting how they handle that. Oh, wait, it wasn't as good as last time, so. Ah. We get so locked into like this crowd stuff and fear of what other people might do. So how do we guard against the popular trap? And that's what I think it is. How do we guard against a popular trap of God validation through others? So how do we guard ourselves against this popular trap of God validation from other people? Because God will use other people. But we really have to be close enough to his heart to know what he's saying and what's going on. So I looked at that question. I was like, man, that's a tough one to answer. How do you guard against that trap? Well, I think part of what Jesus did kind of clues this in. What he did, the whole reason he rode in on a colt, the whole reason he went through that entire scene was because God's word said to do it. So for us, it's probably a really good thing to just follow through on something if God's word makes it really clear to us. So if we can stick to the word, that'll help us guard against approval and validation of God speaking through other people and just looking there. If we can stick to the word, stick to the word, stick to the word. It's in our hearts and we know it. The other thing that I noticed that I wanted to copy from Jesus is not only sticking to the word, but also Jesus exhibited, he wept when he came in. Because he was able to see the whole scene. They were only to see short-sighted. So I think the other lesson we get from Jesus is not only stick in the word, but also pray for perspective. Pray for perspective. So God, I'm experiencing this certain situation. You told me to do this and nobody's showing up. Or I did this thing and it seemed like, man, it was awesome, but I don't want to get tied into that. 
Or, Father, I took a step here, and it seems like there's like nothing coming back. Pray for perspective on it. I need to see the situation, Lord, as you see it, because I don't want to stop if you have me on my way towards something. Right? Praying for perspective. Sticking to the word, praying for perspective. And then hopefully we can avoid this litmus test kind of trap. Because it's like super common. It's like really common. And the problem with it is you could find a Christian in any circle to pretty much agree with whatever you want to do. You can do it. I'm telling you. Whatever you want to do, you can find somebody in some Christian circle somewhere and they will 100% agree with you and they'll even go a step further. They'll even find a Bible verse for you. We have to be very careful. Really careful who we choose to let speak into our lives and have influence. It takes a lot of humility because it'll get us to get outside of ourselves and say, oh, Lord, I really don't want to do this, but I want to be the the man or woman you called me to be, so I, I got to do it. Show me what I got to do, where I got to go. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. That's our memory verse. Let's take a look. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Can't say any better than uh, the way he says it here. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Right on, right? That's pretty good. That pretty much gets to it. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So should we turn a blind ear to whatever happens around us and what people say? No. You should definitely listen. One pastor gave me pretty good advice. He said, you know what, man? He said, listen, as you go through life, stay close to Jesus, stay really close. He said, also, have one eye closed and one ear shut because you just can't get sucked into a lot of stuff. Got to stay close to Jesus, keep one eye closed, just shut those and just go through it because you just can't get sucked into all kinds of different things. Be very selective as far as who we let speak into our lives. So it's just greatly, I'm just blown away by how Jesus was never shaken with the crowds, with the no crowds, with the lot, with the little. He was just mission focused. That's what he's calling us to be. That's what he's calling us to be. So let's stand and we'll close in prayer.